way they're supposed to be. In actual fact, Martha, it's not only, listen carefully, that I bring the answer and the solution, but Martha, I am the answer and the solution. It's interesting that when Martha thought about the resurrection, she thought about an event. When Jesus spoke about the resurrection, he spoke about a... I was told that you were responsive. He spoke about a... a person. That's very significant. Martha, our hope is in an event. Jesus, your hope is in me. I am the solution. Martha, do you really believe that I am the solution? Remember that comment, dear friends. Jesus comes to set things right. Do you really believe this? It's not an event. It's me. Well, after this discussion with Martha, Jesus sends for Mary. Mary has stayed in the house, possibly more sensitive. That's where the mourners are. Martha seems to be handling things a lot better. But Mary now goes off to Jesus. It's related in verse 29. Mary hears Martha's words. The teacher is asking for you. She gets up quickly and goes to him. Jesus hadn't entered the village. was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and they went out and fo- uh, sorry how quickly she got up and went out and they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there and the crowd comes to Jesus and notice what Mary does in verse 32 when Je- when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him she fell at his feet and said Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died exactly the same words as Martha if you had been here my brother would not have died. Now just stop for a moment. Let's take a bit of a backtrack and see what's happening. You see, Jesus has deliberately engineered this situation. He could have come earlier. He could have healed Lazarus from a distance. He had done that before in Capernaum. He didn't have to go there. He could have just said, Lazarus is fine. But he didn't. He delayed two days so that by the time he gets there, Lazarus has already been dead Four days. Jesus has allowed the natural course of events in a fallen, broken world to run their course, to reach their climax. And as Jesus stands and he looks out on the scene in Bethany, he sees a world that is not the way it's meant to be. This is just not right. And if you think about what Jesus sees, you'll understand Jesus is looking at a world that's not right. He sees sadness. He hears weeping. His ears are assailed by the loud wails of the mourners. At his feet is one of his dearest friends standing next to her, a beloved sister. And over there in the tomb, the cold, lifeless body of a young man whom Jesus had loved. And that young man, the breadwinner of the family. And those two women now bereft in that society of the protection of their brother. Jesus looks out. Laughter and tears. Sorry, laughter has been replaced by tears. Joy has been replaced by sorrow. A running, skipping greeting that ordinarily Jesus would have got has been replaced by a stumbling, falling regret. Hope and joy are buried with Lazarus. Uncertainty, doubt and concern rise up. And Jesus stands there and as Jesus stands there it's as though Jesus says this is just not right. This is not the way it's meant to be. As wrong as it is for a 57 year old grandmother and mother of five beloved teacher to die in a freak accident. This is just not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Over the last few years, I've pondered this idea, this concept of not the way it's supposed to be. Those of you who are book lovers, Cornelius Plantinger is the president of Calvin Seminary in the United States. 1995, he wrote a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. 
a bravery of sin. And he explores the biblical concept of shalom. Shalom is translated how? Peace. But you know, the English word peace is so, it's so insipid compared to shalom. Shalom is wholeness and rightness and fullness and health. And what Plantinus says is that's what God intends. But we look at the world and we don't see that. And the world is not the way it's meant to be. Jesus sees the situation. Not the way it's meant to be. May I ask you, dear friends, to take a moment and look around. The world today. Surely this is the world that's not the way it's meant to be. I'm not sure how it is here in Oxford, but in Zimbabwe we have marriages falling apart constantly. We have children who are left to somehow make their way through the minefield of growing up without parental love and concern. We have communities of people, and I'm sure you do as well, who just a few miles from very opulent buildings are living in squalor and seeking to survive on next to nothing. We look in the world, we see teenagers, their highest value is pleasure, their sole virtue is self-satisfaction, and they're killing themselves with drinking. And they're killing themselves with drugs. They're killing themselves with sex. In my own country, we have oppression. We have exploitation. We have corruption. We have HIV levels between 20 and 25%. We have between 15 and 20% of our people, orphans. We have child-headed families where I know of one, a 15-year-old girl, heads the family. The only way she can afford to provide enough money for school fees and for food and for rent is to prostitute herself to the men around and so she gains the reputation of being a prostitute and she gets HIV AIDS which means that she will die a sad death alone. It's not the way it's supposed to be surely. Is this shalom? How do you and I react? How do you and I respond? Suicide bombers. That's not the way it's supposed to be surely. Garbage heap communities. That's not the way it's supposed to be, surely. Air-conditioned 4x4 vehicles driving past blind, smelly beggars. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And even if we were to not travel so far, dear friends, but maybe just go into our own homes and our own lives, and I searched myself, what is there inside me? Immoral thoughts, immoral activities, anger, bitterness within my home, idols of wealth and power, promotion, Fearfulness, self-centeredness, there is too much of what, sorry, there is too much of not the way things are meant to be. And my question to you, I have two questions. The first is, how do you respond? And my second question is, how did Jesus respond? And I guess my third question is, does the first one resemble the second one? How do you and I respond to the world that is not the way it's meant Well, how did Jesus respond? And can I give you four, very quickly, four responses. Response number one, Jesus responded by stating that he alone was the answer. And it's very interesting, before Jesus does anything, he draws attention to himself. And he says to Martha, you know, Martha, you're in the situation where things are not right, but let me tell you, I alone am the answer. The most amazing promise of Jesus, the most powerful miracle the most profound commentary of who he really is and what he had come to do. He has come to set everything right. He has come to take the brokenness and the sadness and the not-rightness of the world and restore shalom, which is richness and completeness and wholeness and health. 
And Jesus doesn't point to an event, he points to himself. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. There are seven miracles in John and there are seven I am's in John. And if you trace your way through the book of John over and over again, what Jesus does, every miracle he performs, every teaching he gives, he's got one purpose in it and that is to bring the conversation and to bring the attention back to himself. Over and over again, bringing the attention back to himself. Now why? Some sort of egomania that needs to be fed? Oh no. There is a profound realization in the Son of God, he and he alone. Nobody else, uniquely, stands alone. He alone will set things right. He alone is the answer. Jesus' first response to the not-rightness around him is, I am the solution. Now what about you and I, I wonder? I wonder to what extent as Christians we are committed to this fundamental point, the only hope for the world and the only hope for ourselves and the only hope for our families and the only hope for our marriages and the only hope for our communities, I could go on and on and on, is the person of Jesus Christ. I know that it's politically incorrect to say, I guess I get away with things as a visitor that you wouldn't be able to get away with. But, you know, that's the answer, dear friends. I mean, Jesus did not use an indefinite pronoun after the words I am. Sorry, an indefinite article. He always used a definite article. I am the. I am the. I am the. And so Jesus sets himself up as the only solution. That's his first response. The second solution, Jesus felt outrage. Jesus felt outrage. Jesus makes this remarkable claim in verses 25 and 26 to Martha. And then Mary comes. Mary throws herself before Jesus. She says in verse 32, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And can I just quickly comment on that? Martha says, if, I, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The people say later on, surely a man who could heal the blind could have prevented this man from dying. But what are they all by implication saying? It's too late now. He can't do anything now. You know, if Jesus was here beforehand, he could have sorted things out beforehand. But things now are just too desperate. Jesus cannot help. That's why Jesus engineers the situation so that all of those options are gone. So that people look and say, it's absolutely hopeless, there's no hope. So Jesus can stand up and say, himself and say, yes there is, that hope is me. Mary comes and she says this to Jesus. And then please notice Jesus' response in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply troubled in spirit. Excuse me. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The word that is used to describe how upset Jesus got here, friends, is stronger than deeply moved. If you have a King James, groaned in the spirit. But even that doesn't quite get it right. It's an interesting word. It's only used five or six times in the New Testament. But every time it's used, it conveys the idea of some sort of outrage, some sort of anger, some indignation. Remember the woman who who spent, who took that perfume which was worth a whole year's salary and she broke it and she wasted it on Jesus' feet. Do you remember the response of the disciples? Same word. They scolded her. They were outraged. What a waste of money. So you see, when Jesus responds to the situation that he sees around him, his response includes something of this outrage. It's the same word if you drop down to verse 38. When he comes to the tomb, 
Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It's got the idea of outrage. Jesus responds in anger and outrage to a world that is not the way it's meant to be. You know, Jesus made the world. Can you imagine how he felt when he saw how terrible it had turned out? He sees death ripping apart a family. He sees pain. He hears sobs. And he's angry. And maybe he's also somewhat angry at Mary and Martha. I thought you believed in me. Don't you know who I am? Sometimes I think he has that outrage and that indignation against his own people. You're weeping as though this is the end. It's not the end. It's not just if I get you before he dies, I can help. I can help now as well. But there is this outrage that Jesus feels about a world that is not right. What about you and I? Remember, I have my, whole, my whole point is, this is what we are called to do. Jesus is the only answer. Number two, do we feel outrage when we look at the world? I'd like to make a statement that might get me in trouble with the pastors. You know, there's not enough anger in the church. There's not enough anger in the church. I trust that that's provocative enough to get you thinking. Well, there's a lot of anger that's sinful. But there's not enough of this type of anger that the world is not the way it's meant to be. You know, we sort of closet ourselves off, don't we? We watch TV snapshots of people who are suffering the same way we watch a Brad Pitt movie. There's that distance. There isn't this anger. There isn't this not rightness when you flick through the newspaper the way you flick through a novel. We don't expose ourselves. When we go on holiday, I'm sure you're like me. I've got a place in Zimbabwe. It's up in the mountains. We go, it's, it's lovely, peaceful. It's nice. I don't go to some of our high-density suburbs where there are five families living in one house, one in each room, sharing one toilet, and children playing in filthy streets. I deliberately don't. We tend to cocoon ourselves, dear friends. I think we need sometimes to break those cocoons. We need to start to feel a little bit of anger and outrage. This is not the way God expects things to be. That little girl shouldn't have to commit suicide just to keep her family going. There's something wrong here. There shouldn't be celebrities after the Brits throwing parties that cost more than most families will spend in a year. It's not right. And so Jesus feels this sense of outrage. Number one, he's the only solution. Number two, outrage. But number three, sorrow. Verse 33 and verse 38 are outrage, but look at verse 35. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Two words, whether in English or in Greek. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? What we need to do as we look at the scriptures is just keep asking questions. Why did Jesus weep? He's about to raise Lazarus. Surely he should have said, Mary, come, 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 don't worry. I love you. I'm going to raise Lazarus. Martha, why are you so fretful? Don't worry. Everything's fine. Why did he weep? You got the question? Maybe he wept for the same reasons he got angry. It's heartbreaking to look at the world the way it is. The same realities that caused Jesus outrage caused Jesus to weep. Outrage motivates us to act in faith. Sorrow molds us to act in love. 
Outrage makes us bold. Sorrow keeps us gentle. You see, the problem with outrage without weeping is that we become arrogant and harsh. And the problem with weeping without outrage is we become sentimental and ineffective. But for Jesus, he was clenched fist, sorry, clenched teeth angry. And he was weeping eyes, sorrowful, as he looked at the world. That was not the way it ought to be. If I said that there's not enough anger in the church, can I also add there's not enough tears in the church? The problem with preaching, and I'm sure my brothers would agree, is that you know when you preach, you have to stand up a little bit later and look at yourself in the mirror. When was the last time I wept in my prayers for this world? Because it's in such a sad and a sorry state. Jesus is known in Isaiah chapter 53 as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Do we weep? When was the last time a prayer meeting at my church ended and dissolved people in tears? When was the last time that happened with you? Gentlemen, if you don't mind me picking you out, I'm not sure what it's like. I have an idea in Britain. But you know, Southern African males are tough. Weeping is for children and women. British stiff upper lip, you know. We British men don't cry. I think sometimes that molds us. Well, you know, we can stand with the Southern African macho male or we can stand with the stiff upper lip Britisher or we can stand with Jesus and genuinely feel so much the pain of the world and the not rightness of the world that even we men would be letting, willing to let tears flow. Because this is just not the way it's supposed to be. Three responses so far. Number one, he's the only solution. Number two, outrage. Number three, sorrow. But number four, I need to take you in the last few minutes to another hill. We need to leave Bethany. We need to travel forward about three or four months and stand at another hill just two kilometers away. We need to stand and we need to look up at three crosses silhouetted against the sky. And we need to listen to the cry from that man in the center. And if there ever was a time where you could say, this is just not the way it's supposed to be, surely it was that time. The innocent has been put to death by the guilty. The creator has been killed by the creatures. The one who holds life and gives them life is the one from whom life has been taken. It's, it's, it's not supposed to be this way. It's the quintessence of not rightness, the cross of Christ. But from the cross, God establishes the foundation of a world that will be right. So appreciated song too. Jesus will rule everything rightly. There is a world where things will be right. That's all on the basis of the cross. The cross is the soil in which the seed of shalom will be planted and will flourish and the whole of creation will come and find shelter under the shade of that tree. So my fourth response of Jesus is this. He died so that the purpose of God for this not right world would be fulfilled. He died. He gave his life. And maybe you sit there and you say, I'm glad Jesus did that. I say, Jesus expects you to do that. And it was just, I so appreciated the songs and I thank God for the way he governs things. But you know, we talked about, we sang about being like Christ and giving ourselves or as Jesus says are you serious? if anybody wants to come after me take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me I died 
so that the purpose of God to restore this not right world would be fulfilled. I want you to die for the same reason and for the same purpose. And I'm afraid you can't squirm your way out of that, dear friends. Biblically, you can't squirm your way out of that. Jesus said, a servant's not above a master. If it happened to him, he calls us to allow it to happen to us. It's the same not right world, dear friends. How do we respond? Remember my three questions. How do you respond? How did Jesus respond? Does the first resemble the second? Focusing on Jesus, he's the only hope. Outrage. It's not right. Clench your teeth. It's not right. Get angry at church. Sorrow. Weep in prayer. But then say, Lord, if I need to die for the purpose of rightness to be reestablished, then I die.